Before we get to the podcast, I just wanted to let everyone know about Fight Game Media Network Plus. If you enjoy what you're about to listen to on the Fight Game Media Network, check out our Patreon at patreon.com front slash fight game media. We have three specific Patreon-only shows and will soon have monthly bonus content from the show you're listening to right now. And it's only five bucks a month. So if you want to support your favorite podcasts on the network, go to patreon.com front slash fight game media and you'll get more content than you can shake a stick at. Welcome to the debut episode of The Wrap on the brand new Fight Game Media Network. I'm Keela Cash, and I'm very happy to be here to recap the five things you need to know about WWE over the past week or so. There are seven hours of WWE programming between Monday Night Raw, NXT, and Friday Night SmackDown, and we want to make the process easier for you to get through what you should watch and what you should skip to close out your week. But I'm very happy to say I'm not alone in this process, as I've got two great guys guiding me on this journey to give you what you need to know regarding all things WWE. First up is someone who's been on the show a few times, even hosting as a lead at one point, but he is a guy that has his toes dipped firmly in Fight Game Media, from In the Clinch to the Dynamite Show via the Fight Game Media Plus on the Patreon, which you can sign up for for $5 today if you so choose. I got Paulie Numbers Fontaine here with me. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. What a lovely voice to start off the first show on the new network. Thank you so much. Your voice isn't bad either. I greatly appreciate the kind words. And also joining us today is a member of the Fight Game Media family, a great contributor who we have forced to watch WWE programming all week long. Our apologies in advance to Jeremy Finestone. Well, you are the best type woman out there, and I'm welcome to be here today. WWE isn't that bad. I know they're trying to make an improvement, and I'm glad to be on the journey to watch. And that's basically what the show is about. We're not trying to denigrate WWE because they do try to put on a good show, but there are flaws that we have to address, especially heading towards Survivor Series. But before we get into the heart of this show, I do want to mention that this is the relaunch of the Fight Game Media Network. It's a great resource to get what you need from all combat sports and professional wrestling. As I mentioned, Paul Fontaine does a great show too, actually, on the network, on the free and paid tier, including in the clinch with Ryan. Frederick, and also we have other shows dropping throughout the week from Pound for Pound with Carlos Toro and Robert Silva, and Write That Down with Justin Nipper and Sumer Fayuto. And we have so many options for you to get through your week, including Brace for an Impact with JD and Mike, who put in great work every single Thursday wrapping up Impact for you guys. So all of these shows are included on the Fight Game Media Network. Check it out today. Five-star reviews. And of course, we begin and end the week with WWE as we give you what you need in order to watch and avoid things from all three shows. And the top story this week is WWE Survivor Series going down next Sunday on Peacock Live from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. And I had this love-hate relationship with Survivor Series for the longest time now in that what is the point of this show anymore. There is no point to this show. I remember there was a show called Bragging Rights in the mid-2000s and we're on SmackDown 
fought over a fake Stanley Cup trophy and they cared about it for a grand total of a week because they tried to sell a video game, which was smart marketing strategy by WWE at the time. But besides the champion versus champion matchups and the Raw versus SmackDown matches as well, there's nothing really of note that says this show is important. And WWE made that abundantly clear via releasing the names of the teams via social media this past Saturday, only to change three lineups in the last week or so for the men and women's teams repping Raw and SmackDown. And to make matters even worse, we have Adam Pearce working as a double agent, declaring he is Team Raw, but still works on Fridays as well, as he has his hand on that team. So What's the point when even the people in charge don't know what they want from Survivor Series? Which leads to the top story of this week. It's been 36 years since the first Survivor Series. And the most infamous is, of course, 1997, the Montreal school drop between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. But after that, what is Survivor Series? The debut of The Shield, that's lovely. But in this day and age, we have... A lot of stadium shows going down for WWE next year, from the Royal Rumble to two nights of WrestleMania to SummerSlam and now Money in the Bank. So what's the point of Survivor Series being in an arena and WWE not putting in the effort and caring about producing a good show that actually has some weight to it? And Jeremy actually had a good idea regarding what can we do to spruce up this November classic pay-per-view that doesn't seem as important as it once was. And his solution was to move a certain pay-per-view review to November or basically remove Survivor Series altogether. So what's your thoughts on what we should do with the concept known as Survivor Series, Jeremy? Well, what we have is two rosters that are kind of unwieldy at times. We don't know uh, as a company how to use them uh, near the end of the year when we're going through the post-draft situation. So the idea for me was after the draft in October, you move the Money in the Bank pay-per-view to November, leaving uh, this window of opportunity for both contenders to either win the Money in the Bank or the Royal Rumble to head on to the six months for WrestleMania. Meanwhile, moving Survivor Series to the summertime can be an opportunity to wrap up all those post-WrestleMania storylines in team fashion in some way where you can shut all those down and then move on to uh, different feuds and different stories leading into the next draft next October. Now, I know this makes entirely way too much sense, and uh, the logic behind it would maybe make a lot of people uncomfortable because Survivor Series it's always been a November show. So if you get past that, if you're able to really just think it through, I think there's a lot of positive momentum with uh, just changing the schedule that way. How would you save Survivor Series, Paul? Well, I I mean, Jeremy's idea is, is good. And I mean, you could also accomplish the same thing by just moving the draft and having the draft happen right after WrestleMania. And then by the time you get to Survivor Series, you know, all the rosters are well established. And and then, you know, then you go about the idea of trying to figure out, OK, why should we care about Raw versus SmackDown? And I, I thought like we, we, we talked about this a lot on the show last week um, that Raw and SmackDown have actually done a really good job, I thought, this year of 
differentiating the two brands, um, especially in the last two weeks. You've got Raw as the wrestling show and you've got SmackDown as the entertainment show in a way. So the the but the problem is, is you've got the same two people running both shows. So, I mean, the 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 most logical thing and, and I have no idea why they, they can't figure this out or refuse to or whatever. I mean, you've got two general managers. They're both running both shows, like assign one to one and the other to the other. I mean, that's the first thing, you know, and then, you know, and then you've got this, you know, this thing. The other idea I had, and, and you threw this out earlier in the week. So I thought, have the Survivor Series have some real stakes in terms of not necessarily brand versus brand, but for the individual performers, you go back to the concept of having these teams of five, you know, not just the one or two matches, but have a bunch of matches and then go back to the ultimate survivors thing. And then whoever wins in the ultimate survivor gets a title shot at the Royal rumble. That's a real stake. And that gives you a reason to care. And then that gives you, okay, maybe WWE's going to build up a new star. And then you're going to watch the Survivor Series to figure out who is um, the, the person that WWE's going to put their pro- promotional wheels behind. That's a out-of-the-box idea that I think might, you know, provide some intrigue. Paul, do you um do you think that it would work if there were branded Survivor Series matches? So instead of brand versus brand, yeah. you actually had in-brand Survivor Series matches with the team on, so like a Raw versus Raw and a SmackDown versus SmackDown. Do you think that would uh, entice you, people you- more? You could do that, and then maybe like if you go with my idea of the ultimate survivor match at the end, mm-hmm. you have the, the the raw members on one side and the SmackDown members on the other side, and then whoever wins, the winning surviving members of that team get a title shot, almost like a like a, a money in the bank. You know, like you get to choose whatever title you want to go for. So you might have the Usos in there, and then they get to go for the tag team titles, or you know, or you have you know um, you know Kofi in there, and he gets to go for the world title or something. Those are really good ideas, and the fact is, they're better than what WWE is doing right now. And which is nothing. E- which is nothing. And the problem is, there's easy solutions to fix this by adding stakes regarding the Warrior Rumble, your first big show of the year that's ultimately going to culminate at WrestleMania, and you want to have the team that wins possibly get the last five spots. If you're the sole survivor, maybe you get spot number 30. Maybe you have a fatal five where you find out the order of elimination in terms of who gets the picks in the rumble just something that adds some value and stakes to this pay-per-view because i think about nxt and it's very hard to think about nxt these days but the one thing they do right is the fact they really pay homage to wcw and it's all under the Mm -hmm. wwe umbrella you have halloween havoc you have war games in december you have the great american bash and at this point wwe owned so many intellectual properties belonging to wcw in terms of trademarks and pay-per-view names and I just want the concept of Survivor Series to get better. But if you can't even do the bare minimum to make this show feel special, to give people a reason to buy tickets, to see you in New York, your home base, then maybe you need to dig in your WCW bag and rebrand this entire thing as Starcade, for example. Just bite the bullet, embrace what WCW did right, and just give a big show feel to something that needs a bit of a spark despite their efforts of champion versus champion, which have been good over the years. But there's nothing on the line besides saying, I beat your champion, I'm better for a night. Or war games. You know, like move war games to the main roster. 
you know, like imagine the Usos against New Day with maybe a couple, you know, maybe move Solo Sakai to the Usos team and somebody else on the New, New Day team. And imagine that would be such a great War Games match. It really would. You know what? Uh, go ahead. Sorry. I was agreeing with Paul. I mean, that's a great idea. Like, do something that actually has stakes in War Games being on the main roster in front of a lot of people versus a warehouse. That is definitely a step up. The one thing I'm legitimately worried about is that this Survivor Series, the conversations we're going to be having is how we're talking about how it was a tribute to 1996 Rock oh. and the 1997 Montreal Screwjob tribute that they pull out in some way, shape or form for a match. That really, I, I really don't want to see that because I feel like it would be leaning back on a crutch of yesteryear instead of trying to find new creative ways to engage the audience as opposed to trying to remind them of better days in the past. And that's a very good point because I think the hook for this year's Survivor Series was the 25th anniversary of The Rock debuting, but you can never predict this man's very busy schedule that is above WWE at this point. And they thought, we got him, and you don't have him. You might have him in some capacity, maybe not live in the building, but that is a crutch they lean on too heavily regarding the legends, that you can only mm-hmm. rely on them for so long because they're not going to be there for you to bail you out. And we'll get to SmackDown momentarily but that's the core issue despite how great Roman Reigns is as Universal Champion you cannot wait for Dwayne to show up to be there for Wrestlemania he's not going to be there next year he might be there in 2023 but it is so imperative to build someone up that can be there for you long term it cannot be Dwayne who will be 51 by the time this match supposedly takes place and yes he's a draw and he's amazing and he'll sell tickets but my god I can't wait another year and a half for Roman to run through a whole lot of people only for The Rock to show up in the end totally agree Yes. And with that, let's focus on the flagship show Monday Night Raw, which went down this past Monday from Louisville, Kentucky, a very dry, sleepy show that was a chore to get through for all three hours. But despite our so-so-ness regarding Survivor Series, I do like the fact that WWE is trying emphasis on trying to forge their alliance on this show within the framework of Survivor Series. So there are three things that stand out that are good on Monday Night Raw. And the first thing is Bianca Belair, who has had fight after fight after fight with Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship, dating back to when it was a SmackDown Women's Championship a couple of months ago when they were on the same show and now they're on Monday Night Raw, but she's run out of title shots. And the one critique regarding having a challenger go after the belt so many times and losing is that where is the fallback? Where is the next step for Bianca Belair? What can she do next outside of the championship picture? We got that answer via Dewdrop, who has desperately needed a storyline on this show since day one and I want them to call her Piper Nevin for God's sakes (laughs) that is the name that is the draw that's going to be the difference maker and we got that via a fatal five-way match that Bianca Belair was going to win until Dewdrop beat her ass at ringside so that's a sub match possibly post Survivor Series then we have Becky Lynch versus Liv Morgan who won the fatal five-way match this past Monday on Raw 
That's someone different, someone new that can be built up despite the losses she's gotten as of late. That is something post-Survivor Series maybe heading towards the end of the year. The third and possibly the best storyline on Monday Night Raw right now is revolving the is revolving around the WWE Championship. You got Big E the champion facing Seth Rollins as a guaranteed shot at the belt. And you've got the wild card of Kevin Owens. And we know his contract is due very soon. And I think Paul and I mentioned this on one of the early days of the wrap and that he was kind of treated like shit on SmackDown the last few weeks before the draft, but now he's front and center in a main event storyline, and he does what he do and he does what he do best, and that is driving story and above all else, causing trouble for Big E and Seth Rollins, and he's thrust right in the middle of the storyline, heading towards the end of the year. So, with all these things going on within the framework of Survivor Series, which storyline stands out the most to you on Monday Night Raw, Paul? Um, of those ones you mentioned, I mean, the one that intrigues me the most is is um, the Liv Morgan versus Becky Lynch, um, because we we saw like this harkens back to SmackDown when Becky first returned and Liv Morgan had that good showing in that um, I think it was a five way match and it also involved Zelina, Bianca and maybe Carmella. Um, and uh, and then it was it was clear that Becky Lynch wanted no part of Liv Morgan. And then even here, like she's blowing her off. And I think she, you know, the story is she'd rather go in with somebody that she knows she can beat as opposed to this fiery person who the fans are behind and and you know and i think even this the character of becky lynch even though she's playing a heel is insecure and uh, she doesn't really want to be in there with someone who the fans really like but in the reality sense of it it's the perfect person for her to be in the ring with because you might actually get the proper dynamic of people cheering Liv Morgan and booing Becky Lynch and I think Liv Morgan is capable of having like really good matches she just hasn't really been allowed to do it and going in there with Becky Lynch who is someone they have confidence in they might be able to have like a really good long match be a great match to have on that um day one show in in atlanta you know if, if that's what they decide to do all right jeremy despite watching wwe television this week there must be one storyline on monday night raw that sticks out as being hey that's not too bad you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna catch you off guard and i'm gonna give props to all three things for different reasons so bianca belair versus dewdrop i appreciated because i'm watching this show and they're backstage and they're pivoting and fluidly moving through a couple of different storylines in one promo package and they're setting up matches and they're setting up angles and they're doing it economically you have a three-hour show i get it you need to drag things out but the amount of time that they spend drawing things out rather than just like getting to the next thing. I appreciate that about Bianca Belair versus Dewdrop. Big E versus Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens know that the job is to make Big E look like a million bucks going into all of his next few months of feuds and challenges. Hopefully Big E has a legendary title reign and all of these guys know to make him look as big as possible because we need more than one big champion in Roman Reigns. Big E has the potential to go a long way and we all have the opportunity to enjoy a great ride while we're doing it. As for Liv Morgan and Becky Lynch, Becky Lynch is one of the biggest stars that we have and Liv Morgan is one of the bright shining faces 
cases that we as fans have been clamoring for months, give them an opportunity, give them a chance, make sure that they have the right to uh, a great match and an opportunity. And we've watched a bunch of people come and go, but Liv Morgan has stuck around. She's been around. She's gritted it through, watched videos of her from like 2014, learning how to train and just realized the woman has put in the work and now is her first opportunity, I would say, to shine. I certainly hope this is not her only opportunity, but this is a prime spot. The company is legitimately making an effort to put new talent on the screen with established talent in order to raise the game of everyone involved. Absolutely. And I've been pulling for Liv for the longest time and she's still in her mid 20s, which means there's still hope. And that's a good thing that she's been grinding for a very long time for well over seven or more years. And it's about time she gets something. And working with Becky Lynch is going to be that something that might take her to the next level. I hope so. As you need to strengthen the raw women's division. I can't say anything for the tag team scene for the ladies because it is damn near non-existent and it doesn't exist on Smith. Smackdown at all. So you definitely need to get somebody ready for Becky Lynch. And Becky's in a similar position as Roman Reigns. She's been built up so strongly over the past couple of years. And you've got to have somebody in position to take her down one of these days. But that's dependent on who Vince trusts. And that is a tall order these days. But at least they're focusing on side storylines around Survivor Series, even though they don't care about Survivor Series itself. Hey, Combat Sports fans, if you're a Facebook user, check out our Facebook group. There are daily discussions relating to pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. And to be honest, we can use more MMA and boxing fans. We have two rules and two rules only. No hate speech and no trolling. Thus, as you can imagine, it's one of the better places to talk combat sports on the internet. The link is in the show notes. And now it's time. <laughs> it's I true. Do think, exactly. uh, I do think, one last thing, I do think it's really interesting that Dewdrop is now getting that prominence as the... Uh, the bigger heel on the roster immediately after Nia Jax is gone. Well, I think she's she's just stepping into that role. Which oh, well, one hundred percent, which is much great. better, Absolutely. much 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 better for her, and I, I guess it was good timing too. And it's nice that they actually have the confidence in her to do that, given that she's not one of their homegrown people. Yes, and she can work, and she kicks yeah. ass when you let her, and. I cannot wait. I don't know how she's going to do it, but the day Bianca Belair picks up Dewdrop for a KOD, I might cry because I just want to see her do it. I don't for, know how she's going to do it. For fans of Dewdrop that really want to see really good stuff, I mean, you can go into NXT UK, but you can also go into um, the ICW, which is available on the WWE Network, and go back about three or four years and watch some of her matches there uh, when she was Viper which she will never be in WWE. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, she I've been a fan of hers for probably, I don't know, seven years, maybe. Yeah. So she's been Viper and Piper Niven and now Dewdrop. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. We hate the name Dewdrop, but we're going <laughs> to root for the push of Dewdrop because she's really good and she can definitely be a great opponent for Bianca Belair and vice versa. This could be a nice side feud to wrap up the year for Monday Night Raw if WWE plays her cards right. But as always, we shall see. 
as we make the smooth transition to NXT, which honestly isn't ever really smooth when it comes to NXT these days. I have a love-hate relationship with this as well. The last couple of weeks have not been very good as tested my resolve again to cover this show weekly, but I do it because it's my heart. I love NXT, good times and bad, and right now it's going through some times. Not all bad, but some of it is pretty damn dreary. But the good news is there's a ray of sunshine. We have War Games coming back on December 5th, which happens to be the day of my birth. So quite (laughs) great timing for good or bad reasons, depending how this show goes. But it is the first War Games that does not include the takeover moniker. And I immediately got a shiver down my spine saying, oh Lord, we're killing off takeover. But at the same time, the standard of takeover is so high that if this crew doesn't match it, then you might not deserve the name except around WrestleMania time. So what are your thoughts on the return of war games? Minus William Regal making the announcement. There's still time between now and the show and WWE dropping the takeover moniker. Jeremy, how do you feel about NXT 2.0 switching all things that made NXT NXT? In one word, worried, worried. I'm very, very worried. Uh, the talent level for a war game does not fill me with confidence currently on the NFT roster. I've been watching uh, the 2.0 about half the time. I took a break going uh, post 2.0, and then I picked it back up just around when Braun Breaker uh, had his title match. And there is there is legitimate talent there. There is a roster that might be able to pull off a war game, but the idea that the people in charge look at that roster and think, you know what's a good idea? Let's put all these guys in a war game match, or let's put all these women in a war game match. We saw that ladder match two weeks ago. We saw that disaster. Uh, Zoe Stark tore her ACL. Uh, I saw JC Jane do a roll through the ring and didn't quite hit the landing. There are things that concern me, and there are members of that roster. I, uh, I would not be shocked to see Braun Breaker in a war game, and I would not be shocked to see Braun Breaker victorious in a war game. But that is about the extent of what I think a war game would bring to the table for an NFT right now. The Takeover was a legitimate brand. It was a very special brand, but to use that brand now doesn't seem like it would be very well received. What's your thoughts, Paul? Well, like Jeremy, um, I, you know, I, I am a little concerned about what they're going to do with the actual match. When you when you looked at the commercials that they had p- pumping it, I mean, it's clear Toxic Attraction is going to be in that match. Um, probably, my guess would be they'd be teaming with Dakota Kai. And then on the other side, you'd have probably Raquel Gonzalez um, and uh, Io Shirai and uh, Saray and maybe one other person. So, I mean, the one side is not too bad. Um, but the other side could be pretty bad. And that last, yeah, that, that ladder match, I mean, it had its moments, but, but it was, it was, it was really hard to get through. And then on the men's side, I mean, a lot of the really good workers, like are already seem to be tied up in feuds. Like, I think we're going to be getting a triple threat for the North American title with Gargano, Dunn and Carmelo A's. So that takes out Gargano and Dunn. Um, Champa, you would assume would have a title defense, but if not, then yeah, he, him and breaker probably team with you know a, a tag team against uh i would think legato del fantasmo and maybe 
um, Imperium. So if that's the case, that could actually be a really good match. But my initial thought in terms of not branding it TakeOver, I mean, this is a big F you to Triple H. I mean, you know, this is like, okay, this is our thing now, not yours. The one thing I hold out hope on is that he is a member of the family and he is going to be part of WWE for, you know, generation to come. You know, there's no reason to believe that that won't be the case. So maybe at some point we get Triple H leading a group of uh, his guys to go up against the new generation of 2.0 and and have breathe in some new blood into this show in this brand and that could actually be really fun um the way to kind of go go into 2022 but then like i there's no like long termness in this thing i mean you know you got kyle o'reilly and von wagner and and as you know spoiler alert like we saw von wagner on on smackdown so you know they don't know what they're doing there and you know braun breaker's already working house shows on the main roster so i you know i i you know i don't think they've even thought this through like i don't think they have any idea who's going to be on there other than toxic attraction is going to be in a match yeah and that's a great idea Idea. OG NXT versus the new school, but the problem is, well, yeah. who's left from the OG generation? It's done. Gargano, O'Reilly, yeah. you know, yeah. like even Hayes, Odyssey Jones, you know, you could call him old. <laughs> from 1.0 before the switch over. He was there yeah. for the carryover. Yeah. Maybe even move some guys back from the main roster that they're not using. That Do the Kevin Owens return? Hmm. There you go. Like as Triple H's main guy. I like that. Small Joe's still kicking around. Yes, where is he? He's he needs in to be that FP, isn't he? He's still yeah. there. He's yeah. still there. Yeah, I he's coaching. He, he's, he's coaching. Yeah, coaching behind the scenes recruiting. Yeah. He still needs to be on there to like beat somebody or make somebody. I know Pete Dunn is probably the most protected guy on that show, which is good for him, actually, yeah. alongside Tomasa Ciampa. So Vince is not completely daft in terms of good talent that can get over via the in-ring work. But if they're going to do OG NXT versus the next gen, they got to do it now because I don't think Kyle O'Reilly is going to be sticking around past his takeover. <laughs> He's going to be in AEW in Jacksonville for New Year's Eve, if I had to guess. Yeah. I'd also say it might be entirely possible. It might be Shawn Michaels walking out with old school NXT and not Triple H. Good possibility. Could be. Could be. I just like I, I do think at some point we're going to see a triumphant Triple H coming back and getting a huge pop because that's a card they have in their deck. But they also could save that for WrestleMania, especially if they want to sell tickets and fill up um, AT&T. Um, you know, as as mad as they probably are at him for losing the war, like he's still a valuable member of that company and, and they're not just going to throw him to the wolves. But I mean, they, they this was a clear message to him like this isn't your baby anymore yeah that was the last sign right there unless it's revived for wrestlemania i don't see it it's unfortunate i don't blame paul Levesque. i don't blame him for this it was a war he did not want to be in but based on how this show is doing right now if it continues to slide heading into next year and this idea of reframing nxt does not work then his ideology might be reactivated i'm all for that because there are things i like about the show but then i go to a segment that pissed me off beyond <laughs> words and that leads to our next side topic regarding nxt in that i'm going to quote stone Coast Steve austin if you're not in this business to win championships get the hell out basically if you're not in this business to put in your best work to be a professional wrestler please leave so why is it on nxt 2.0 we have poker players 
we have mobsters that are very happy with their side hustle and wrestling is so secondary to him. And it goes to a segment regarding Duke Hudson and Cameron Grimes because Duke Hudson got hustled by Cameron Grimes in his car at Shark Room last week. And instead of asking Cameron Grimes for an actual professional wrestling match in a ring, Duke Hudson proposed, hey, Cameron, let's have a poker showdown in the ring. Grab a chair, drop the chips, and let's play poker in the ring. And I love the World Series of Poker. I truly do. But I don't want to see it in professional wrestling. So can we have people fighting because they actually want to fight in a ring and not just do it because it's a side hustle and your main hustle is being a mobster or a card player? And I like Tony D'Angelo's stick. I truly do. He's really invested in it on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. He has the game down packed. He's committed. And I respect that. But in this day and age, it's a hybrid of 1992 superstars with guys having side hustles and wrestling not being their main, main job. And to me, it does not work in the framework of what NXT is supposed to be. So what's your take on this, Paul, regarding guys having side hustles and not having wrestling as your main, main fucking responsibility in life? <laughs> well, our uh, our good friend, John LaRocca, who is, uh, does a Take It Home podcast on this very network, on the free feed, uh, Fight Game Media Network, um, released every Sunday. Uh, he talks, he calls that the same thing as you just did. You know, in the early 90s, WWF superstars. That's what this NXT NXT is. And I mean, you know, to be fair, with the amount of money they're paying guys in developmental, you kind of almost need a high side hustle. And, uh, you know, uh, Duke Hudson probably, you know, can do pretty well playing poker. And uh, Tony D'Angelo, uh, you know, being in uh, waste management is, is probably a pretty good side hustle for him, too. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I you know, <laughs> I'm being facetious here. You know, obviously, I, I want to see these guys wrestle. But, um, you know, and, and Duke Hudson and uh, Cameron Grimes could probably have a pretty good match. You know, they're both decent wrestlers. I mean, Cameron Grimes is really good and Duke Hudson is OK. Um, so, you know, and this we've seen them play poker and it's not incredibly compelling. Um, you know, I, I don't think the people that write these segments really understand how poker works. But I, uh, Duke Hudson clearly does. Again, uh, one of my guilt. Well, it, my guilty pleasure. Well, my thing to avoid last week was the poker segment but what i liked about it was the fact that duke hudson reacted exactly how somebody would react if someone called him with a pair of deuces pre-flop and went all the way to the river with him and then hit a full house to win the hand i mean he, he played that perfectly <laughs> and cameron grimes is just every idiot that calls me with the bad <laughs> hand at the poker table and i want to strangle them so i think in duke hudson's mind he knows hey you know what he can't do this to me every time I'm going to take his money. And uh, so that's that, you know, there is some logic there, but I don't think the writers understand it. No, that was a donkey play and that yes. was unacceptable, but yeah, still a donk, a donk. a donk. That's yeah. But still you, you're fighting in a ring with a poker table in the ring for <laughs> us to see bad. a live poker match. Just, why? I stayed up late at night watching the World Series of Poker on ESPN, and I love that element, but not in my professional wrestling, for God's no. sakes. So, Jeremy, what's your take on these guys having side hustles and not having professional wrestling as your main fucking job? I got to keep saying it because it's true. 
Before we start, I just have to say Cameron Grimes is one of my favorite characters in NXT and watching him get the upper hand against a single gimmick wrestler both amused me and made me sad in a couple of different ways. Uh, having Duke Hudson lose as his gimmick being a poker player tells me he's also probably a bad wrestler, which is not the message that you want to send coming into it. I figured if you're going to do a gimmick like that, this guy is going to win at poker and he's going to show you like he's a winner at poker and he's also a winner at pro wrestling. That's not what they did. And further, if you think about guys like Duke Hudson and D'Angelo and whatnot, go back to think about how comic book companies in the movies introduce Batman. You know, the first couple of times you see the Batman movies, you get the idea. His parents were shot in an alley. He uh, dresses up like a bat, goes after the bad guys. Every movie you see it, you see it over and over and over again. And now you're starting to see the movies, they skip right past it. They get right past all this stuff. They've been doing this for 80 years. I don't want WWE to be doing this with these characters to have one thing that defines them outside of wrestling for the majority of time. The economic factor of the time, of the time that I'm spending watching this show, I want to see a professional wrestling product. And yes, I know we are now a creative IP company and we are watching things to farm further, but growing these characters means growing these characters both in the ring and outside of the ring. Nothing is going to happen in terms of the popularity of these characters by showing me a guy who doesn't actually play poker all the time, but telling you he plays poker. Having a mobster who just scares people. Just go out there and wrestle like you're gonna kill the guy in the ring and be their version of MJF but sleazy and and a gangster. I don't know. But incorporate it all instead of doing that one thing and hitting it against the wall over and over and over again until the spaghetti noodle that's finally cooked. Because we're gonna lose patience getting to that point if you keep going that approach. That is very true. And it's a matter of just making sure your characters are not one dimensional and just give them layers as being wrestlers. And I have to go back to Roman Reigns. Once again, he has a mobster mentality, but he's not an actual mobster. Just have the mentality of being a guy that is very strategic, that can threaten people, that can be imposing, but don't actually be the mobster and live in color. But Tony D'Angelo, as I mentioned, has done a great job with this. He's really getting over but we need more than one dimensional characters or side hustles in order for this NXT 2.0 to make sense at the end of the day. And speaking of making sense, we have another topic to tackle in that NXT has been trying to covet a younger demographic and Paul Foley's numbers extensively. And so do I. And there was a time we had no access to the women demo and the younger viewers. And over the summer, it appears as if there was a flat line and it has, and it has not recovered yet. And we look at the presentation of NXT 2.0, a way to grab a younger fan base. Let's make the building brighter. Let's make it more colorful. Let's target younger viewers by having people around their age out there putting in work. And that's fantastic. But the one thing they've been leaning on a lot lately is sex sales. And it comes down to toxic attraction. And you see how they're presented. The camera zooms right towards them. And they have to work the camera, pose with the camera. They don't work the 
camera, the camera works him. And to me, is this too much overproduction from WWE? And they're trying to think, is this, is this what people want? Is this what guys want to see? Like we have Instagram and Google for that. We can search and see that. I think that there's a level of, yes, sex appeal sells, but it's so easily accessible in other means that you don't have to throw it at us on television every single week. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm very sex positive, but don't throw it so blatantly in our faces. Like, let the ladies work the camera. Don't work it for them, so to speak. And another thing that stands out is the fact they're trying to push romance, lust, horniness on this show. Everybody is hooking up behind the scenes. We had Index getting married a few months ago. We have Car- uh, Electra Lopez and Zion Quinn hooking up on NXT via a tango and Beth Phoenix saying that's sexual tension and it's so heated and it's so ooh la la. But is this really the method that is going to work to engage a younger audience long term? What do fans of this generation want? I know I want good wrestling, but some great characters to boot and storylines to match. So, Paul, when you try to see this show through the younger generation's lens, what do you think they want to see? And does this work in terms of sex is going to be a benefit long term? Well, I, I, you know, long term, obviously, is, is you know, it's, we're just guessing, but um, it does seem to be working um, in the short term. Like they're they are getting a little bit younger ever since they famously had that one week where the median age was 62. And I'm a grandfather and that's 12 years older than I am. So, I mean, that's really old um, that they've made a concerted effort to try and attract younger viewers. And, and obviously, this is the approach they're taking. And um, it's it's working, you know, to an extent, um, you know, the 12 to 34 numbers, like especially this week, were actually, you know, a pretty decent level. Like they were it was, um, you know, like up from the previous week, even though the overall audience was down. Same with the male and female. So, you know, you talk about toxic attraction. You've also got Zion Quinn, who they're positioning as, you know, something of a sex symbol. Um, do uh, what's his name? Grayson Waller, Duke Hudson, you know, kind of similar, you know, kind of thing where they're using their good looks as part of their appeal. And conversely, they are losing some of the older audience. So I don't know if that's, um, you know, I, I mean, I think the older audience tends to be more loyal, but they're also going to die. So, you know, you want to cultivate these younger <laughs> viewers and hope they stick around for a while. Um, and and like you said, they did crater um, at one point and maybe now they're slowly trying to build it up. And then, you know, if they watch them here and then they follow them to the main roster, like if you're a big fan of, you know, Toxic Attraction or, or you know, Braun Breaker, uh, you know, you might follow them to uh, to the main roster and then, you know, then you get hooked on, on the main roster for life. So uh, it's a good strategy and and, you know, time will tell to see if it works. Um, they had to do something. And, and this is what they tried to do. Jeremy, what's your take on NXT bring for the young, grown and sexy these days? It's a fine line to walk. Uh, romance and wrestling has always been tied together. Uh I have seen other people in the past be quote unquote thirsty for talent that they uh, find attractive, be it men or women or other, um, as it were. So when I'm watching this, I, I I see the approach and what they're trying to do. But at the same time, I don't want to see a, ne- a new generation of wrestling fans pulling the uh 
uncomfortably awkward embraces at WWE meet and greets and stuff like that in the future. There's a barrier here where you can watch and you can enjoy, you can appreciate what salacious nature of sexuality that they want to throw on there. But they're also performers doing a role. Uh, a couple of people I was listening to were talking about how it appeared Zion Quinn and Electra Lopez, was that who it was? Yes. Uh, had that dance off. And it honestly, it felt like their attempt at a telenovela, which if they were trying to do, they I kind of actually thought they were pulled off. And I had... Uh, I was intrigued by it. I did not see the uncomfortable nature that uh, other people said that they saw in the two performers when they did that. But at the same time, they're they're in a pro wrestling company. They signed up to pro wrestle, not to do dance moves and uh, seduction routines in the middle of the ring as if you were on uh, Dancing with the Stars. So that's they're the concern that I have. <laughs> they're not a pro wrestling company jeremy right right they're just, like i'm sorry just i just watch. i had to stop you there <laughs> like I'm, I'm watching nxt and i'm just seeing this dance routine and i'm just like yeah it's not the miz sure but i'm also not watching the miz on tv either so there is a fine line there is an opportunity there to capitalize on fans that might find that as the opportunity to get in and, and appreciate the product but going all in or heavy in on it is not an approach that i would personally recommend no, there is definitely a delicate balance. And I'm all for romance in WWE. I grew up during a time of watching Matt Hardy and Lita hook up a part of Team Extreme back in the early 2000s. I was a huge shipper for Trish Stratus and Chris Jericho and that famous $1 Canadian bet back in 03 and Christian and Lita getting involved. I love those storylines. Hell, I loved Mandy and Otis last year into WWE completely botched it with The Miz stealing Otis's contract and sending Mandy to Monday Night Raw and they stopped caring about the storyline line but it's all about how you approach it to make it make sense at the end of the day you can do it they've done it pretty well but the fall through is always the follow-up in terms of once they get together then what index gets married and they're hardly on screen together as a couple anymore definitely choices so it's up to wwe to decide how much they want to push it within reason and to give fans a reason to care about these performers besides their romantic lives which is really apparent on nxt TV these days. And now it's time to focus on Friday Night Smackdown from last night. It was, I gotta say, by today's standards, and I've had a tough time watching Smackdown as of late. This was probably the best show they've done since the draft last month. There's been some rough days for this show in terms of star power besides Roman Reigns, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, King Xavier Woods, and Drew McIntyre. And I thought they utilized everybody on the show pretty well, especially the Smackdown women's division, because we've had a few conversations on this show as of late regarding the presentation of this division and the time they have not been given as of late and that dates back to the queen's crown tournament from hell heading into crown jewel last month but thankfully things have turned around we got multiple feuds cooking in the oven which is very nice we have the five ladies on the smackdowns of iris series team or now it's down to four as Aaliyah was kicked out after naomi helped her win the match last night against natalia shotzi and Shayna baszler but at least she got a story there with naomi and Sonya deville and at this point, Naomi, you need to beat Sonya on sight 
There is no more get in her face and argue with her. It's time to beat her ass. And if she suspends you, so be it. And we have Shotzi feuding with Sasha, which is good to see as well. We have Charlotte Flair calling out Becky Lynch ahead of their match at Survivor Series next Sunday, which should be very interesting in terms of how worked shoot this is going to get. And we have Tony Storm making an appearance as well for the first time in a minute. The challenge Charlotte Flair, which should be supplant seating heading into next year as well if WWE has the patience for it. So considering what this division's been through as of late, Elise are getting proper time once again. And Jeremy, from all the things I've talked about regarding this division, trying to get some life to it after a rough couple of months, which storyline outside of the SmackDown Women's Championship stands out the most? I think the story that they are clearly giving the most emphasis to is Naomi versus Sonya, which I am I am happy to see. Uh, Naomi is a veteran and one of the people that can carry the women's division in a way of given an opportunity, and she's done so in the past. She's not a big star like the uh, Bianca or Becky or Charlotte or whatnot, but or Sasha, but she has the opportunity to deliver in a match and a feud that has at times made me roll my eyes and like they're really they're really trying to string this along but they are doing legitimately interesting things to me Aaliyah being in the Survivor Series match was weird but the fact that whether intentional or not they used it as a pivot for the Naomi Sonya feud and uh, added elements to that that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for I'm looking for characters and wrestlers and stories to kind of weave in and out and things of consequence affecting each other rather than each individual feud in the bubble of the universe being completely independent of each other that's the kind of synchronicity and unification of like a world that i want to see in pro wrestling where everything has consequences for everything else that is a very good point. And I'm always for having side feeds around the women's division to get somebody ready for Charlotte Flair at some point. You need that. You have to build up challengers. They cannot be around doing nothing. You have two hours to work with every Friday, three for Monday Night Raw, set up challengers that make sense. So, Paul, when you look at the SmackDown women's division landscape, we don't count the SmackDown women's tag team division because it does not exist. But what stands out to you as saying, this got some potential here heading towards the end of the year. Well, when you, I'm glad you worded it like what stands out because honestly, like from last night, what stood out was the fact that, okay, there was one member of that women's team that, you know, you looked at and you said, this doesn't make any sense. Why is she on here? And then they gave her a big win. So that's okay, great. You know, we can get behind her. She, she gets a win. And then they immediately take her out of the match for no logical reason at all. And it's like, and then, you know, and even the announcers are pointing it out. It's like, oh, I just got word that you've been removed from the match. And then they're like, got word from who? You're in charge. And it's like, uh, okay, thank you for like admitting the obvious, but then they don't even follow up on it. And then she's just backstage and she's just talking to Jeff Hardy and she's talking to Ricochet and, you know, and then even like they're mocking Ricochet backstage, like they're making fun of their own show. Um, the illogic, illogicality of it. I don't know if that's a word, but um, the, you know, so for me, like, you know, so that was what stood out. Now, in terms of the 
the direction i do agree with you guys that it is good you know we've got a couple different things going on so you've got charlotte she's got the big match with becky and amazingly charlotte somehow managed to get the fans behind her for that match i have no idea how that was possible unless it was major major crowd sweetening um and then you know but you've got that you've got the tony storm thing you've got Shayna baszler you got sasha banks you've got naomi like you've got all these challengers that have credible things going on and it's all you know like very interesting to me so so i am glad that they're focusing on it yes that is a very good thing and Aliyah had a great showing last night she oh. really did that was her best match ever and she was nervous and i know there are some things going around online about her throwing up but damn it she had her best performance in front of her largest crowd and besides beating robert stone's ass on nxt she was really good i was impressed by her and then she gets pulled from the team because naomi helped her win that's some bullshit yeah. but hey i thought Aaliyah had the best match i've ever seen her ever have in her entire life and i've seen live matches i've seen the nft stuff uh she did a great job in the match and the other women did a great job with her in the match. That was the kind of match where when you talk about someone or you talk about how they play to the strengths of a, a performer and they make sure that none of their weaknesses are highlighted, that is a match that you need to watch to say, hey, this is what they're trying to do in this match. Yeah, and they had the crowd on their feet by the end of it. That was not crowd sweetening. They loved the hot tag Naomi gave to Aaliyah because she was the only one left standing. And Naomi getting her ass kicked by Natalia, who really had her working boots on last night, too. Like, that mm -hmm. entire opener set the tone for the show, which was off to a good start. Then it kind of, you know, rolled down a ravine a little bit towards the end, which leads us to the main event of the show. And that we have this battle for the kingdom between King Xavier Woods and... And Roman Reigns and the match itself was very good we knew for a fact that Roman wasn't going to lose because he never loses he has not lost a match in well over a year via pinfall or submission unless you count referees being knocked out and they can't see the actual tap out or pin attempt but we had a battle and it was good and it ended via disqualification thanks to the Usos who pulled Xavier Woods away from Roman Reigns who hit the elbow drop for the win and they attacked him with the steel steps sent him flying over the announce table and then to wrap up the show they present the crown that belongs to Xavier Woods to Roman Reigns. He bends the knee all right to take the crown of Xavier Woods to declare himself king of WWE. I hated the DQ finish. I understood why it happened, and a part of me wished that Survivor Series was centered on the bloodline versus the New Day. That would have actually been a hook to say, damn, this is exciting, this is different. We got three guys jockeying for the same position. Xavier Woods wants to be on equal footing as Roman Reigns. Biggie wants to beat the Universal Champion. There's a lot of things in the fire regarding a bloodline versus New Day feud. I think Kofi's wife is due to have another baby very soon, and he might be on daddy leave right now which is completely understandable for him to go on break and that might be a reason why this feud has been a bit restrained in terms of what they can do fully but the larger question is we look at the smackdown main event scene we know that the main money draws brock lesnar versus roman reigns presumably at wrestlemania in dallas texas but in the meantime in between time you got to make people for roman reigns unfortunately to beat on this show but you do want to get people ready hopefully for a future beyond brock Lesnar, because as we mentioned at the top of the show, you can't wait for a legend 
religion to show up to bail you out, to give you the dream ash, because you don't know when that's going to happen. So I like the fact that for well over the, for almost a year, Xavier Woods has been protected by WWE. He had a nice run on Monday Night Raw. I remember a gauntlet match when he was with Kofi Kingston. He didn't get pinned at all during the gauntlet match, which really told me something as well regarding how they feel about him besides not paying him on up, up, down, down. But from a booking standpoint, they're protecting him as a character. And he's not afraid to step up to Roman and say, I run this kingdom too, not you. And if you're trying to build someone, anybody up, could it be Xavier Woods to be a player besides a Drew McIntyre who's been there, done that as WWE champion and faced Roman Reigns at last year's Survivor Series? So, Paul, do you see Xavier Woods as someone that has any chance of being a top tier main eventer on the same level, even sniffing that level of Roman Reigns? I will say that I think that Xavier Woods is the perfect guy to be put in the position that he's going to be in for, I'd say, for the next five months, which is he's probably going to be in that main event scene. He's going to be challenging Roman Reigns, maybe even getting a uh, world title match at either or maybe even both of night one and the Royal Rumble, because it's a guy that, you know, he's not going to win. Everybody knows he's not going to win, but he's he's a very very good worker very underrated worker and a guy that will be elevated by just being in the ring with roman reigns he's going to get better he's going to be taken more uh, credibly by the audience and and then he's a guy that you can go back to in the future and and then maybe even at some point like after this reign of terror is done and i i don't mean that in in a bad way but the reign of terror by roman reigns is done you can go to him and as a former challenger and give him a world title at some point because he's he's had that credibility in the eyes of the audience and then you know he can take that through wrestlemania and then you know at that point you know maybe settle down a bit and I think in the meantime, you protect guys like Drew McIntyre or maybe somebody else that you're bringing up um, to protect. And then they can be the guys that are going to challenge after WrestleMania. Um, and in the meantime, you know, you just find something else for guys like Drew and, uh, you know, whoever else you want to protect, maybe a Ridge Holland. Um you know, uh, but yeah, I, I so to answer long answer to your question, I, I really, really like this positioning of Xavier Woods. It's something that they do all the time in this season. You know, they've, you know, you famously remember guys like Bob Holly and Dolph Ziggler and, and guys like that getting a push, you know, above where they normally are at this time of year. Um, because you got so many guys, um, you know, in the Royal Rumble and, and in the lead up to WrestleMania that you need a guy like a Xavier Woods to be in that main event. Uh, world title scene as somebody that the fan you know will have good matches that the fans know aren't going to win but that you can possibly elevate to a new level what's your take jeremy does king xavier woods have a chance to be a true main event player on smackdown he does but i consider it to be personally a long shot that it happens with drew there i think he is going to be on a second pecking order in addition to that I have to remember that the crown has had three different people 
on its head in addition to Roman Reigns, who's not even a king. You had Baron, you had Shinsuke, and you had Xavier all this year. So what that says to me is that if we want to legitimize what being a king of the ring is, Xavier needs to be built up as a strong contender. He needs to have strong matches and definitive wins with Kofi at his side or whatnot uh, until either the gimmick runs its course or he decides that he or decided that they go heel instead. One of the things that I was thinking about in terms of where this feud uh, could go is that I was actually thinking on, uh, on January 1st uh, as a tight over, you could do a New Day versus uh, the Romans group, uh, the bloodline, at that January 1st show, and that would be a heck of a main event prior to getting ready for the Royal Rumble. I don't know if they'll plan on doing that, but I think this feud still has legs. I think this feud is one of the strongest things going, and I think that the New Day is actually a very strong challenger, and it as opposed to the single challengers that you have coming up that are just simply overpowered by the the strength in numbers. So having New Day, having that strength in numbers factor uh, eventually countered once you get the opportunity to have Kofi, Xavier, and Big E all facing off, you could have Big E beat Roman this uh, next weekend and then turn around and have the bloodline beat the new day in a three on three to kind of win back the, the heat. That would be a great idea. And there are so many layers to the bloodline in the new day in that you have the Usos who have been gaslit by Roman Reigns for well over a year now. And Jimmy came back and says, I'm nobody's bitch. And then you end up being Roman's bitch because he gaslit you. It's like he still falls in line. But as you really buy into what Roman Reigns is selling and you have the new day who have a deep history with the Usos, maybe at some point they say, Jimmy, Roman don't love you like that. Maybe you need to step aside and just say, maybe this isn't for you. Your original thought before Roman brainwashed you. There's so many stories here, so many layers that if they tap into it, it could be a nicer to tell at day one heading into WrestleMania and beyond. And since they are the ones, why not do it at day one? And... I want to touch on a couple of more things regarding SmackDown and that they're trying to tell stories. I think Rich Holland has an unhealthy obsession with Sheamus. I don't know what's going on there. He wants to be really good friends with Sheamus. I don't know if Sheamus feels the same way. He might bro kick him. And quite frankly, that is a training that Rich Holland might need in order to get over. I did laugh at Pat McAfee saying he's a jacked up version of myself. Yes, he is. Minus a personality, Pat. Minus a personality. And we do have Ricochet offering life advice to Aaliyah that was so afternoon school special <laughs> about, hey, be a likable, lovable loser. It's okay. <laughs> it will get better. Trust me. I've been losing for a very long time. Just like Mustafa Ali, we're losers. And as <laughs> losers, we come together because we're losers. But it's okay to lose. At least it's something to get Ricochet and Mustafa Ali in a ring kicking ass. At at least there's a storyline as paper thin as it is to possibly get somebody over on this show. So what's your quick takes on these two little storylines going on SmackDown in the mid card scene, Jeremy? Well, uh, it's funny you mentioned the Mustafa Ali thing, because I think about a half hour ago, he went on Twitter with a two minute video saying that his whole storyline has been dropped. I haven't seen it yet, but that's making the rounds. I want to see 
I want to see more exposure. I want to see the FaceTime for all these new talents. And I don't want to see the same 10 people on the show just put in different places and mixed and matched. That to me is not an entertaining product. That's me playing a board game of concentration. So I want to move past that. And I want to see these guys and women get the opportunities that they have to sink their teeth into roles, to sink their teeth into things that doesn't feel like it's inorganic to what they can bring to the the WD product as a whole. If that makes any sense, I just I need to see things that fit the care, fit the people that are on the camera and the things that they can do. Absolutely. Paul, what's your quick take on these side storylines going on besides the main event scene? Well, with the Ridge Holland, what what it's got me hoping for, and and we saw Cesaro kind of interjecting into that. I want to see Cesaro and Drew McIntyre against Sheamus and Ridge Holland for, you know, in tag team matches for the next six months. And then Hmm. get back to me and see where Ridge Holland is in six months. I think he'll be ready to be a main eventer at that point after being in the ring with those other three dudes. The other one it's just it's just hilarious and and what capped it for me was you know like um i guess it was michael cole saying oh you know uh aliyah getting some good advice there and then mcafee going from ricochet and i just i i just killed me like i you know and it's just great and all they needed was that little bit of music i was trying to find it um online and i was going to play it in the background in my mic like i do on occasion on these shows but i couldn't find it but the music um that they play on full house when you know like <laughs> yes. uncle jesse is explaining something to michelle and oh wow you know and, and that's what you needed right before as that was going on yeah to be a loser um you know like just look at me like I've, I've i'm making lots of money i've been here for a while my contract's coming up i'm gonna resign i'm not going to aw <laughs> like <laughs> what a loser not me <laughs> yeah so yeah oh. i i got a kick out of that oh my goodness not flashbacks of family matters with the music yeah. playing yeah. full house those lessons of the day children you two are a loser but you're gonna be okay sign that contract and you hope they don't veto it in about 60 days and you know what <laughs> you know what he was right she lost her Survivor Series spot. He was absolutely right. Well, didn't that happen? Wasn't that right after it happened? I'm pretty sure. I can't sh- remember. I, I think maybe. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, keep your chin up. You're going to be a loser at WWE unless your last name Oh, and the, the, the other thing about this. Okay. Does anybody get the vibes that, like, Jeff Hardy is, like, trying to mack on her? Or Yes. Okay. <laughs> he, like, he walked. Like, he left. Yeah. Like, Kayla, let me go with Aaliyah. Yeah. Somewhere like you had no place going with Sami Zayn. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Je- Ho- Jeffrey, he's got game still. Hopefully his old lady isn't watching in, in Cameron. Yeah, turn the TV Roman off. doesn't get in trouble sexually harassing Kayla in front of Paul. Like that's an HR violation yeah. right there. Yes. Hey, maybe he, that's what he's trying to do. Yes. Maybe. maybe he wants to go join the House of Hardy. Ooh. Or whatever they're Ooh. called. Hey, but listen, on the timeline, guys, both Hardys won their matches last night. Oh, God. One. Oh, I mean, you're you're (laughs) getting into my TLDR moment. So (laughs) let's save that. Yes. There's got to be a stat somewhere where there's a date that said the last time both Hardys won a match not involved with each other was on this date in 2017. Yeah. (laughs) Really? It's got to be this day in history somewhere. There's got to be this day in history. (laughs) 
Well, Matt Hardy wins a lot in AEW, so it may not be as long ago as you thought. But yeah, Jeff Hardy certainly doesn't win very often. Yes. Poor Sami Zayn getting erased from Survivor Series. We don't know who's going to be the fifth man. It could be Adam Pearce at this point to sabotage, to sabotage Team SmackDown. I think it's obvious, but I... I uh, I did I, I did get a kick out of like Sami Zayn's picture being erased like in Back to the Future yeah. like when <laughs> Marty McFly's watching his picture disappear as his uh, parents aren't going to get together um, you just see Matt you know Sami Zayn being erased from history. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah, so hopefully by the time we get to Survivor Series the next Sunday, these teams will be set with whoever is going to fill the spots for Aaliyah and Sami Zayn for Team SmackDown, a team that Adam Pierce is actively trying to sabotage, even though he's working as a double agent on both shows, <laughs> collecting the same checks. But with that, it's now time to wrap up this show with our favorite segment. It is the guilty pleasure and the one thing for the love of God you have to avoid at all costs. And we are trying to be fair here. And some things we shouldn't like in WWE that are really corny, but you end up loving it anyway. And that's that one thing in WWE that you just want to turn the channel and tell everybody, please don't watch this shit to save your life. So Jeremy, you watched all the shows this week. So there's got to be that one thing that said, this is pretty good despite my better angels here. And there's got to be that one thing that was like, oh, hell no, never again. Up until about two minutes ago, I did not have an avoid at all cost, but I do have one now. Uh, the guilty pleasure, Madcap Moss. I don't know what it is about the way that Corbin and Moss get off on laughing and the joke that they tell, but the whole thing is just hits me right in the funny bone. I just watch him like, God damn it, that was funny. God damn it. I Unbelievable. Uh, they got me. And they've done it for about two or three weeks now where Moss is just so committed to thinking that whatever he said was the funniest thing that he ever said in his life that I believe it. I believe it's funny and it's funny to me now too. Uh, as for the avoid at all cost, we were talking about the double agent with Adam Pierce. Did anyone else catch that they had three teams that lost a member or removed it and then were, and then on Raw? Pierce explicitly told the Raw women's team that there was nothing that they could do with Dewdrop and that she was that the team was locked in as it was when one team just before the segment moved and then two teams four days later both got their players. That to me is logic that you can't argue and you should avoid that at all cost. Yeah, Scrap Daddy's been fucking up lately and he was on my good side for the longest time. But when you go heel against Brock Lesnar, you're on my shit list. So Paul, what is your too long didn't read this week? Well, before before I get to that, um, Jeremy, how do you get a country girl's attention? How do you get a country girl's attention, Paul? A tractor. Woo! <laughs> 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 How, what do you what do you call it when a group of apes starts a company? What do you call it? Monkey business. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. Perfect. So um, so you stole because he stole my uh, my thing because that was that was mine. So I you know I had take one it, that no, I was take it too. No, take it too. No, no, it's that great. Well, well, okay, no, because you know what we can beat that dead horse all we want. Um, the yeah, I mean the the 
it just annoyed me to no end that you you have these matches and and what was even the point and then why was von wagner just standing there and and you know nobody knows who he is even though he's on their other show um it just baffles me and i just you know so now i don't even want to talk about it so i that was i had one before last night so i'll go back to that one and it would be we've referenced it on this show already the segment with zion quinn and electra lopez including her match uh, just skip right through that whole 15 minute segment the you know the the squash match that they couldn't do and then the incredibly awkward it wasn't uncomfortable like as jeremy said and some other people have said it was uncomfortable it was just bad um and people can avoid that at all costs my guilty pleasure is actually from nxt and it, it is the vignettes that they were doing from the uh, UK house shows. And I really en- liked it. It made those shows sound like a lot of fun. Um, you had Brown Breaker talking about his experience. You had Tommaso Ciampa talking about his experience of putting it over and just showing, you know, the occasional highlights of it. I just, I really like stuff like that. And it gives you a reason to want to go to the house shows. Because for me, like, I kind of avoid house shows at all costs because they just, like, they're nothing happening. And especially in wwe like i definitely go to an AEW house show but um you know i'll go to a tv taping because something important might happen but i tend to avoid house shows and this made it feel important even though i I saw some reports from people that were there that didn't like it so luckily they didn't air that um but but i did like what they did air and and so that was my guilty pleasure yes i did read the one city that did not like it very much but the other cities did which gave me hope like okay Braun Breaker more life experience for you as for Von Wagner I call him Wagner Von Trapp I just don't know why he was there last night probably to get out of the PC to gain real life experience on the road but he is nowhere near ready for prime time if you're going to be-, be on that Survivor Series team I'm telling you Fuck 100% no. No, 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 no. See, now this show is ruined. That you've given me. (laughs) This show has gone to hell now to know that Wagner Von Trapp is going to be part of the men's team for Survivor Series, which proves my point. Adam Pierce is throwing this fucking team right down the river. Like, hey, come on. But at this point, it would not shock me. Just think Von Wagner or Wagner Vaughn, whatever his name is, will get a prime spot on a pay-per-view before Johnny Gargano and Kyle O'Reilly. Probably pinning Kevin Owens. Oh, my God. Oh, I I feel like Kyle O'Reilly and Sami Zayn are going to be sacrificed to the WWE GOG to put Von Wagner over into a place of prominence for the next mm-hmm. six months and then squander it completely. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. Okay, let me quickly get to this because I've lost all faith in the show. (laughs) It is gone. It's evaporated. But I have to get to my guilty pleasure, which comes from Monday Night Raw. And normally when I watch the show and I review it on the side, I skip this with every fiber of my being. And that is anything related to the 24-7 championship, except this week, because I laughed my ass off every time (laughs) poor Mike Rome says, and the new 24-7 champion Corey Graves and the new 24-7 champion Byron Saxon and the new it was so hilarious I did laugh at that the fact that the Wikipedia workers had to work overtime to put in the champions for those five minutes for that it was adorable and I loved it and normally I hate all things 24-7 but that was actually clever as for a mic don't watch this to save your life we go back to Smackdown 
And it's whatever freestyle rap from hair, hell, Jenna Mahal <laughs> and Shanky were doing. They were doing like, what was this? Now, I thought now, don't get me wrong. I will say this. I thought Shanky, when he was rapping in his native language, that was actually not bad. But then it kept going. And then Gender joined in. And then they did the kid and play. And I was oh. like, get the fuck out of here. I hated this. And I, ugh, I hated it. I gotta it. say too with that. So the the idea is when you do a segment like that, the, the heels are supposed to be making fun of the baby faces. So they're going to be saying raps that are basically, they're pretending that they're hit row and they're making fun of themselves. But in this case, they were actually putting hit row over in their rap that was supposed to be making fun of them. So it was, it, it, it didn't even work on that level. It was just so horrible. Oh, I thank you for reminding me. Cause I, you, when that Aaliyah stuff happened, it just, everything else on the show, just, I, I was in a haze. So thank you. I apologize for bringing that back up to you. No, but thank it, you. <laughs> it had to be mentioned because it was horrible. And Shanky for like 30 seconds was probably the best Indian rapper in WWE history. And then Jenna Mahal just mucked it up just because, dear God almighty, no. But those are the things you should definitely check out and avoid from WWE this week. As you put a wrap on the wrap for this week, I want to thank Jeremy and Paul for joining me this week on the show. And this is the first of many wraps and many shows on the Fight Game Media Network on the main, main feed. And of course, you can sign up today for Fight Game Media Plus for $5 to get all the shows you need to get from the archives and current day regarding the Dynamite Show featuring Paul Fontaine as well. And I just want you guys to just really give a quick shout out to where they can find you on social media our dear listeners out there who are listening to us for the very first time on the main free feed you can find me at Jer Feinstone, j-e-r-f-i-n-e-x-t-o-n-e at twitter i don't post much but when i do i feel like it's worth your five seconds and i want to take the opportunity to plug my new youtube show which is cup of joe with grandpa des I hope to have Jeremy Feinstone on at some point. I would love to have Keela on, but I, I'm assuming she won't do it because it's video, but I'm hoping to be able to convince her. And, uh, and then my only other thing I wanted to say, instead of plugging my other shows, would be this. Real Slim Shanky. Drop the bars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, pre-Paul can tell us what that means. Pure fire. Okay. Listen, for 30 seconds, that was fire. And then Jenna Mahal had to join in and that just went straight. <laughs> it just went horribly, horribly wrong. And thank you for traumatizing me not once, but twice <laughs> with the audio. Paul knows how to really get to me in these moments to wrap up this show. This will be my last appearance on The Wrap. Thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> Keela will never have me on again. He's fired, Keep ladies and gentlemen. He's yeah. fired. I'm not bringing him back anymore. And in all seriousness, Paul will be back occasionally on the wrap to recap all things WWE, I think, because this offense to me is forgivable, I think. But as for myself, <laughs> you can find me on social media at Lady Wrestling, Lady Wrestling X on Twitter. I tweet about Raw, SmackDown, and AEW and NXT throughout the week. There's a big show tonight, Full Gear. Enjoy 
enjoy that, you guys out there. And as I mentioned, this is a great resource of information via the Fight Game Media Network. John LaRocca will bring it home to you sometime this week, I believe, as he really is great at giving you the hidden gems you need to see from WWE because apparently WWE has forgotten their own hidden gems on their own network on Peacock. But John LaRocca is great at bringing it home for you guys every single weekend to wrap up what I do with the rap every single week with a great great cast of co-hosts that are really knowledgeable that try to give you what you need to do to get through WWE. It is a thing that we try to love despite the warts and all, but we try to give you what you need to get through a very busy week in WWE. So for myself, for Jeremy and for Paul, that's a wrap.